0: Uh, we are going to uh, study together some of the fascinating uh, explanations of the Ksav Sofer. And our parsha is uh, Mishpatim, of course. And you can find it, if you're with me, in the Art Scroll, Chumash, on page 416. It's uh, Exodus chapter 21. These are the ordinances which you shall place before them. Now ordinances... Um, I mean, I truthfully, I'm not exactly expert in the meaning of the English word ordinances, but I'm just saying that it is ordinances, the term by which we render those laws which regulate um, commercial life, uh, laws of torts, personal injury, laws of monetary um, matters. That is to say, the laws that regulate interaction among people. Um, as opposed to the ceremonial laws or the ritual laws or the missus ben adam la makom. And this is the primary subject for the notable subject, although it's not the exclusive subject of our Parsha, Parsha Smishpatim. So let's get right into it. The uh, Ksam Sofa begins with quoting a medrash. And just read you a few words of that medrash, which he quotes and seeks to elucidate. That the mighty king loves judgment. He loves justice. That's the pasuk in him. Moshe said to the to the Jewish people, the Almighty gave you His Torah. If you don't keep the dinim. Hashem is going to take the Torah back. He gave you the Torah. That's last week's Parsha, Matan Torah, the Ten Commandments. The other mitzvahs associated with it. When I say associated with it, I mean, it represents really all of the tayyang mitzvahs. So, so collectively, the the measure says that Hashem... uh gave the Torah to the Jewish people, and Moshe said, there's a, a condition, that if you keep the dinim, then that's great, but if you don't keep them, God is going to take back his Torah. <inaudible> Hashem gave you the Torah only on condition that you keep the dinim. So, the Ksab server says that the Mefarshim and the Medrash are, are a bit uh, mystified, Uh, what's so notable or so unique about the dinim, surely the dinim are part of the mitzvahs of the the Torah. The mitzvahs of the Torah that are contained within the Torah, that is to say, the content of the Torah, the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, of course include many of what we would call mishpatim or dinim, they're included within it. So is it not a kind of um, circular reasoning to say, here's the Torah, if you keep part of the Torah, then that's great. If you don't keep that part of the Torah, I'm taking the whole Torah back. So Ksav Sofer says that we find a famous Gemara in Shabbos, which says that at the time that a person is called to judgment, after 120 years, sometimes sooner, the beginning of his judgment is a few preliminary questions. And one of those questions is, Nasata v'Nasata be'emunah. Have you given and received? Have you sold and purchased? Have your business interactions been of a um, w- with faithfulness, with integrity? Have you been honest in your business affairs? And of course, it doesn't mean only someone who is a, a merchant or a trader or someone who is an investor. It applies to all of us. We all buy and sell, uh, or at least we buy, um. And there are opportunities for um, uh, to uphold those laws, or possibly to seek to undermine them. So that is the first question among the kind of preliminary questions which a person is asked. And if he answers in the affirmative, then he has the opportunity, so to speak, to be um, evaluated and ultimately, perhaps, to be ushered into the to the bliss of the next world. But if not, then he is excluded. Tchilas <inaudible> Adam. Why is that considered like a prerequisite? After 120 years, it's almost as if the um, evaluation is focused on several subjects, actually, but that is one of them. And what, why is it so essential? So he says that the Gemara tells us Gemara in Sukkah and elsewhere we have the concept of lulav hagazul, a lulav which is stolen. And this gives rise, the Talmud elaborates or generalizes it further to the interesting and troubling phenomenon of mitzvah habba'a ba'avera, a mitzvah which is accomplished through the agency of a transgression. So if a person steals a lulav and he now wants to use it for the mitzvah, or he steals an esrob, which is tends to be a lot more expensive, more valuable, more precious, more costly. Or for that matter, if a person steals matzah. There's a mitzvah to eat matzah on the Seder night. What if a person steals matzah? Now it comes to Seder night. He wants to fulfill a mitzvah. So, this is the phenomenon of mitzvah, habba ba'avera. The Gemara also says that if a person steals a measure of wheat and he uh, processes the wheat and he grinds it and he makes flour from it, and now he's kneading his dough. And he takes off a portion and he designates it for the Kohen. That's called Hafrasha's Schala. And he makes a bracha on Hafrasha Schala, or he makes a bracha on the bread which he eats. And in his mind, perhaps, he is processing this bread in accordance with the mitzvah of the Torah. Hafrasha Schala, other things. It says the Talmud this man who recites a blessing on the bread that he proposes to eat is not reciting a blessing, he's not blessing God, he is cursing God. EIN ZE Because the postage says, BARECH NA HASHEM. Which the Talmud understands to mean, the one who, BOZEAH, one who breaks, who breaks bread, that's the, the, the uh, sort of drash, a person who breaks bread. But the drash is BOZEAH, who acquires the bread through illicit means. But, BARECH, and he recites the blessing, it's as if he is cursing God. And this is true for tefillin and mezuzahs. This is true for, dare I say, tzedakah as well. If a person's prophet is ill-gotten and he gives generously to charity, so all of these mitzvahs, they are all um, nullified because they are all achieved through the agency of a transgression. So he says, according to this, all of the mitzvahs that a person does, that doesn't mean every mitzvah. There are some mitzvahs which don't involve any financial outlay at all. But there are a great many mitzvahs which do involve, uh, as I say, financial cost. Either you purchase something or such as a tefillin, which can be quite expensive, or mezuzahs, or as I said, you give charity or even hospitality. You invite guests into your home. But someone who does that, he is charitable, he is uh, compassionate, he is uh, hospitable, but his money is acquired through illicit means, says So for Mishinim, Misham Hadinim, all of the mitzvahs which he does are nullified, they count for nothing. He says that's why, the, that's what the Medrash means when it says that if you keep the dinim, then you have the potential to keep the other mitzvahs of the Torah. But if you don't keep the dinim, Hashem says, I'm taking the Torah back. Because the mitzvahs that you attempt to do, propose to do, and believe that you are doing, are invalid. If the wherewithal, with which you perform those mitzvahs is itself acquired through illicit or unethical or halachically forbidden means. That's the meaning of the statement in the mandrash. And if you keep the dinim, if your interaction with other people, if you um, uphold the principles of what we might call kosher money, then the other mitzvahs that you perform you know, are going to be evaluated on their own merit. And if you're a meritorious, that's fantastic. But if not, then, so to speak, you have undermined the basis for your Mitzvah observance. And then he adds on one last very uh, clever flourish. And this will help you remember this little thought from Ksav Sofra. These are the ordinances which you, which which you shall place before them which you shall place before them, meaning the Jewish people. And it goes on right away, these are the ordinances to place before them. Says Exav Sofra, maybe there's another way to interpret it. These are the ordinances that you shall place before the other mitzvahs of the Torah as a kind of prereq to the fulfillment of the mitzvahs of the Torah. When our Parsha Mishpatim follows as it does immediately after Parsha Yisra, after the giving of the Torah, after the Ten Commandments, and after the Jewish people said, although actually the phrase appears later on in our parsha, but sequentially chronologically, it's after the people said, Na nishma. So now the Torah says, These are the mitzvahs that you shall place prior, in a prior position to that of all the other mitzvahs of the Torah. El I'm sorry, I may have said mitzvahs. El these are the ordinances which, which you shall place in a prior position because they are the prerequisite. They are the means by which a person has the possibility of correctly fulfilling the, the mitzvahs of the Torah. A love of Hashem, uh belief in God, loving your fellow man. These mitzvahs are dependent on the dinim. As I said even though some of them are not do not involve a financial outlet but again a person who is uh corrupt in his commercial affairs uh, he has undermined the basis of all of his other mitzvah uh, observance so that's what Ksav Sofra says about and the medrash that uh, that we mentioned um just have here in my notes uh Someone once told me about a, a tenant, someone had a certain property, he had a tenant in their property, and this the, the man, the tenant, okay, probably was a bit disturbed, actually, but he was very devout, and he spent his time praying, and he even wrote a few books of the Breslov nature, and this tenant was completely corrupt, he was a and he was guilty of theft, stayed for, for months and years without paying, and gave a uh, no end of grief to the, to the landlord. I mean, these kinds of inst- inst- uh, instances can be easily multiplied. So it's not only the sort of wealthy person whose business dealings are doubtful. It can be someone on the other side of the, of the ledger as well. But my point is that even though he was a, uh, you know, Supposedly, very devout, very spiritual person, but the basis of his mitzvah observance was undermined by his own by his own behavior. I want to share now a very insightful, and you can judge for yourself if you consider it radical, but a very fascinating interpretation to a pasuk, a few psukim, which uh, are very compelling. The psukim themselves. Are very, you might say, uh, almost intimidating. I remember hearing uh Rosh more than 40 years ago, about 45 years ago, uh, elaborate on these psukim. I still recall exactly what he said. I'm not going to review that now, but I'm talking here about uh, chapter 22. Verse 22, or we'll go back even one, one Pasuk, to, uh, Pasuk Chaf. So let's go up on page 430. If you're with me in uh, uh, Mishpatim, chapter 22, verse 20. The term says, Do not oppress or exploit or pressure a proselyte. Because you were uh, foreigners in the land of Egypt and you didn't like it when they oppressed you, don't do that to other people. Any widow or orphan, do not oppress, do not grieve. Now that's true, Rashi says, for every person, the Torah is just mentioning people whose position is weak, who are who are vulnerable, who are subject to exploitation, and who feel the suffering of the uh, a harsh word or the oppression very acutely but it's actually applicable to any any person imane then here's the passage which is the really sharp one the really intimidating one imane saneo so if you surely afflict him it's it's ak when he calls out to me in anguish Shamo akaso i will hearken to his cry and my anger will flare and I will kill you by the sword your wives will become widows and your children will become orphans very harrowing uh, imagery and the Torah is describing in the most catastrophic terms, the most uh, uh, you know terms of of uh, absolute uh, reprehension. Someone who conducts himself in such a way as to exploit the weak and the vulnerable and the those who are in a position of uh, of um, you know where they are subject to exploitation. And by the way, it's talking here really about Onas Dvarna, about just speech, about language which is aggressive or insulting or belittling. Very, as I say, intimidating stuff. Ksav Sofer has a very novel idea he asks the question which perhaps is on your mind as well we find several double expressions here now the simple explanation for the double expression is as an intensifier it's a very common biblical idiom it's a way of expressing the intensity of the event or the emotion so if you surely afflict him sake he will call out to me says Exaf Sofer, a completely different idea. We have an important principle, and that is that, uh, I'm sorry, I want to mention a further question he, he asked. If you look closely at it, the, this passage begins in the singular, in the singular, as if the Torah is addressing the individual, then it goes to the plukigem Gem eretz yisrael. Then kol amanavi yosimulos saanun. Do not oppress. Imane So if you oppress him, if you in the singular oppress him, kitzak kitzak elai. He will call out to me. Shamo ishamat I will hear his his cry. V'chara v'haragti eschem Now it's in the plural. I will kill you by the sword. and your wives will be widows and your children will be orphans. So it progresses. It trends. It um. Uh, changes from the singular to the plural so this question is raised by Ibn Ezra and Ibn Ezra says something which I think makes good sense but so Sofra has a different take on it he says that uh, uh, Ibn Ezra says that the Torah here is hinting to the societal malaise that if a person oppresses and afflicts and demeans those who are weak and poor those who are vulnerable those who are who are without uh, means or resources to respond or to defend themselves if that is the habit if that becomes the rhythm the pattern within the society it will corrupt the society as a whole and indeed those who have been oppressed will call out to hashem and he will punish the oppressors the whole society will pay the price. So according to, to Ibn Ezra, the point is that the transition from the single to the purple is to show how this will snowball. It will lead one thing to another and it can infect and indeed uh, toxify. there's such a word, the whole society. Ksav Sovra has a related but a different idea and I think this is novel. He says that a person who is punished because of someone else if ruven calls out to hashem and invokes or or pleads or or is responsible so to speak uh, precipitates the divine punishment against shimon and shimon is punished because of ruven then subsequently ruven will be will be punished because he was responsible for the suffering of of shimon again even though the Torah here speaks of an oppressor and an oppressed. But if the one who is oppressed calls out to God and so to speak, uh uh invokes or invites or or uh seeks to um incite divine retribution against his oppressor, and he succeeds, as the Pasuk says, Shamo <speaking in Hebrew> I will hear his, his cry and I will punish you accordingly, but the one who has called out in pain, and the one who has, so to speak, uh, brought about the punishment to the oppressor, he will then be punished as well. He says that's how we explain, understand the double laxion, im also. If you oppress him, and as a result, you are punished, then he will be punished for bringing about your punishment. And this, I think, is a novelty here. I think Savsofer is uh, addressing the cycle of punishment. The sort of uh, he is he is um, opposed to the culture of victimhood and the calls for punishment and retribution and and um, you know uh, seeking to to bring down the uh, privileged class this kind of class warfare or or the the cultural the cultural wars in which we have almost a hierarchy of victimization and the idea that certain categories of people can never be victims they can only be oppressors and the oppressors are always wicked and the victims ipso facto are righteous this kind of uh um you know contemporary woke ideology, I think Saf Sofri here is criticizing it, and he is saying that, yes, of course the Torah makes it clear that it's forbidden to oppress others, to oppress anyone, but if one does oppress and the one who is oppressed uh, uh, invites or evokes divine wrath against the oppressor, then the one who was oppressed will also be punished because there is a better way to resolve the, the uh, conflict, whether it's, you know, taking the oppressor to a din Torah or pursuing justice through the through the legal system or even, so to speak, praying to Hashem to be saved from the oppression, but not to what we call Moser Din. This is a very dangerous thing enterprise a very dangerous approach in which a person uh, seeks to like I said incite divine uh, anger against another person and if he does then that anger will ultimately be re- rebound to him as well you know I have a we have a portal on our on our website and Ask Ask the Rabbi column. It's called Ask Rabbi Rashi. And actually, when a person uh, whoever uh, whoever he may be or she may be, uh, Google's Ask the Rabbi, so our Ask Rabbi Rashi comes up uh, on that list. And therefore, I do get some questions from all over uh, all over the world, different cultures. Not all of the inquiries are inquirers are Jewish. Although I think this particular inquire I want to tell you about uh, certainly was uh, uh, is Jewish. Um, I don't want to read it to you. I don't need to read it to you in detail. But he, cl- the writer, uh, claims to have been greatly... Uh, um, harmed maybe neglected or abused by his parents and then he also faults a certain cousin for ruining his life and he wants to know the question wants to know when or in what way can he hope or expect to see his parents punished by God for what they've done to him and his cousin as well for ruining his life now obviously with only a few sentences not especially articulate sentences uh I am not in a position, and in fact, I told him he really needs to speak to a rabbi or a social worker or a therapist, you know, to advise him. But I did, And probably this person, whether through the consequence of the treatment he experienced as a younger person or for other reasons, uh, you know, he's probably very, you know, angry and feels victimized. But what I told him is that rather than focus on retribution, rather than focus on craving the revenge or the feeling of uh, like um, vindication when someone else suffers on your behalf, I say it's much more valuable, much more helpful, much more positive to work towards a reconciliation, to hope for a sincere apology and a reckoning, and ultimately moving on from the suffering that you have endured. This Preoccupation with retribution, I said to him, is is not is not helpful. It's not not good for you, and it's not good for the society. This quest for retribution is damaging. That's what Sav Sofa says over here. So, uh, in a novel interpretation, he says that the double lush on the expression, and that's why it starts with the with the singular and goes to the plural because there's not only one person who is going to be punished for his wrongdoing, but there will be two people, because the one who was oppressed, who brought about the punishment to his oppressor, will also be punished for what he has done. It's a novel interpretation of Kisav Sofer, which I find fascinating and uh, novel, um, as I said. I want to tell you, finally, uh, a third idea from Kisav Sofer, I'd like to share with you tonight, and This is towards the end of the parsha, chapter 23, verse 25. And here the Torah speaks about serving Hashem and the reward that will ensue. It's on page 438, if you're with me, in the article of Homesh. You will serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water which probably symbolizes the basic sustenance which a person needs to survive. Having said that, bread and water is fairly basic as opposed to something more lavish, a more lavish reward. And I will remove illness from your midst. So Ramban asks that surely the Torah, we would expect or maybe hope for a more extensive and more um, elaborate bracha than just by serving God, you get bread and water, uh, ample quantities, and Hashem will remove illness from your midst. It's like if a person, uh, you know, reaches the age of 40 or 50 and he hasn't yet succumbed to some terrible illness, you say, well, this because he keeps the Torah so well. Okay? That's, um, uh, health is a blessing which should never be taken for granted, but it's a bit low ball. It's a little bit kind of underwhelming to say that this is the reward that you can expect. That you won't take ill. I mean, presumably it means that uh, eventually a person will will succumb to to old age and that sort of thing. But I you know he won't. Uh, he won't have illness ravage the the society. The Jewish people, if they are deserving, okay. That, as I said, is a nice thing. Ramban asks, isn't there more to it? So. Ksav Sofer says something quite interesting here. He says it is the nature of the human condition to always uh, seek more success, more prosperity, more wealth, uh, more profit, uh, to enjoy the trappings, or the consequences of affluence, and to seek more and more of it. This is human nature. The Talmud puts it in a pithy way, One who has a hundred, he seeks two hundred. This is human nature. Of course, if a person has that kind of mindset, if you take it to an extreme, actually, he'll never be happy, he'll never be satisfied, he'll never be contented, because Whatever he achieves, he'll want more and he'll feel inadequate. He'll feel as if, uh, especially if he looks around, he sees other people who do have more a larger home or a more glamorous home or more fashionable clothing or a more luxurious car, or they take more uh, exotic vacations and this sort of thing. If a person is always overly conscious of what others have or what he himself seeks, he may never actually enjoy the uh, contentedness and the sense of accomplishment in what he does have. And, you know, a person has the right to enjoy the fruits of his labor. But sometimes if a person is fixated on what I can achieve and what I want, he may never be happy even with what he has. He quotes, Ksav Sofer quotes the hafla. Hafla was Pinchas, um uh Pinchas Halevi Horowitz one of the um he was the brother of the famous uh uh of Shmelke and Pinchas and Shmelke Horowitz were two of the great uh, uh followers of the magi of mezrich and uh, his his writings are very uh highly highly regarded it's interesting that this particular idea which Chassam Sofer also quotes in the name of Hafla actually it doesn't appear to be in his writings so maybe here uh, some sofer heard it as an oral tradition his son kasav sofer our friend for the year perhaps heard it from his father but he quotes it as if it's printed there but in any case the idea is a beautiful idea and i'm sure if uh, we have the testimony of kasav sofer sam sofer that it comes from the uh, uh Hafla, i'm sure that it does he quotes the pasuk, a posik very familiar to us all. And I have to say that I was delighted to read this uh, earlier this week because at Kesher in the mornings, we are, have been learning about the laws of Suke de Zimra. And one of the laws in the uh, recitation of those verses, Psalms of Praise, is the importance of that posik. It appears in Ashray. And uh, the halakha is that if a person says it and he doesn't concentrate on it or he doesn't even, dare I say, remember that he said it because he's not even conscious of the meaning, he has to go back and repeat it again. This is a verse which means you open your hands and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Says the uh, hafla, and Ksav Sofer quotes him, the second half of this posig, and actually I said it, Kesha, the other day, just this idea, and I subsequently saw it here in the name of the Hafla. Umasbia to satisfy, to satiate, all, all life, ratzon, it's desire. If a person has a desire, or if a person generally is, uh, um, full of desires which are unrequited, which are are unrealized, which are unfulfilled, he will be frustrated. He will feel deprived because he's craving something which he doesn't have. The blessing is that Hashem will grant to a person the phenomenon, the experience of Sameach Bechelko. He'll be pleased with Elias. He'll be contented with his lot. Says the Ksav Sofer, when the Torah says, you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, which means you'll have ample provision, ample sustenance. And it means not only food to eat and water for, for hydration, but it means all of the other necessities of life you'll have. This, this will be the blessing. What will be the further blessing? That you'll have no more illness within. Says the Ksav Sofa, what is the Machala b'kirbecha? The inner feeling of inadequacy. The inner feeling I'm a failure because although I'm earning this much a year, but I know someone who's earning more. I've got a rival or a colleague or a competitor who got a promotion or got a bonus and I didn't get that bonus. I did get a bonus, but his bonus was more than mine. And therefore, I don't feel fulfilled. That is the Inner illness that I will remove. This mahala, this illness, this inner sense of failure, of depression, of inadequacy, of demoralization that can lead a person to uh, feel completely uh, like a sense of purposelessness in life. That is the makhala kirbecha. He says, I don't know if contemporary psychologists would agree, that only Hashem can relieve that illness. That is an illness which, uh, you know, a pharmacist cannot prescribe something for that. Nowadays, we've got uh, medicines that probably do help, and we have therapists who can help, no doubt, but I love the insight that he says, that's the birkir becha. that's the illness within. It's not evident, or at least doesn't, it may be have manifest in physical uh, um, sort of uh, symptoms, but it is not something which is primarily physiological. It is psychological, but it can be very devastating. Although a person can fall to depression, and even worse, to self-harm and... and, and uh, um, Disastrous consequences which are because of that So that's how Ksav Sofa explains that uh, um, that when you serve Hashem that he, Hashem will bless you in the pr- providing you with what you need and that the, the uh, sense of purposelessness or as I said the demoralization or depression or worse Hashem will remove that. You'll be blessed also with the with the the sense of contentment, the sense of the fulfillment of a person's desires. So thank you for listening tonight. And uh, we've had uh, uh, three insights from Ksav Sofer. just to review them very briefly. We said that, uh, the dinim precede, these are the dinim which must precede the mitzvahs of the Torah. Because if a person falls foul of the dinim, then all the other mitzvahs which he does, or a large number of them, will be nullified because he will be essentially uh, seeking to fulfill a mitzvah. We said, so, if you oppress someone, then when he calls out to me, you will be punished. But then says, he will be punished for bringing about your punishment. This is against the culture of victimization and retribution, which I think infects our society today. Because I've so far anticipated that uh, 150 years ago, and the last week we said uh, I will remove the illness from within. That's the inner sense of uh, of failure or anger or depression, which is the machalabir Thank you to everyone and. Um, I'm getting a reminder of